Hello everybody, we are a band from Slovakia called Cico Band and Rene Rendi. And now you're listening to the podcast Katsumoto with Peter Sikoro and Jeff Lobmanov. Hey, what's going on everybody? This is Jeff Lobman from Vanguard Hockey. And Peter Sikora. And uh, welcome to episode one of Katsumoto Conversations, a hockey podcast. Um, Peter and I have been talking a long time uh, about doing this podcast and, and uh, sharing information with all of you. And a lot of people have been asking us how we came up with this name, Katsumoto Conversations. So Peter, you want to give them a little, uh, little backstory on that? Well, uh, uh, you know, we had a lot of good long conversation over the phone and you know, we are, uh, I think, pretty knowledgeable hockey guys. And uh, we always, when I pick up the phone and you call me, it's always our plus phone call. And, you know, we cover everything in youth, in youth hockey. We talk about a lot of stuff. And, you know, the idea came up, you know, might as well share it with the people. And uh, I think we have a very similar view of hockey. And definitely, you know, we can, uh, you know, we can say and share with other people a lot of good ideas, what we went through. You know, I've been since I retired, I've been coaching uh, for the last 10 years, um, going through all the way through mites, squirrels, PVs, all the way to Bantams, to Midget now. And so, you know, I went through a lot and definitely, you know, we can share a lot of good stuff with a lot of people. So at the end of these conversations, uh, we, we found out that we share a favorite movie, which is The Last Samurai. And uh, one day, honestly, I forgot who said it. But uh, we quoted, uh, this was a very good conversation. And that's something that the samurai Katsumoto says uh, to Tom Cruise when, when he's in the samurai village. So uh, as a little inside joke, we decided to name this podcast uh, Katsumoto Conversations. This is going to be a really light podcast, although it's going to be educational for parents and players. Um, we want to keep this light just like two guys talking. I know Peter's planning on bringing in some of his, uh, his playing buddies. I'll be doing the same and some international coaches. Um, but this is not going to be uh, crazy long episodes. This is more for your morning or evening commute. Uh, just two hockey guys talking hockey and different topics of the day. Yeah, de- definitely. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the podcasts and all that stuff, they're getting a lot of the big stars and stuff like that. It's, I think for us, uh, I think the people should hear the real stuff. I think we should bring some, you know, maybe even like a Bantam players. We should, we should maybe bring a parents on the podcast. We should bring, you know, the youth coaches and really talk about what's going on. And, you know, there is, you know, we talk about all the time, this stuff, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff out there, but there's some good stuff too. You know, I think we can definitely guide the parents, uh, you know, a little bit through the madness of youth hockey. You know, I have a 15-year-old son. I went through it since he was four. So definitely, I got a lot, a lot to share. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff we can cover, but let's not get too deep into it now. It's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of, you know, started off. So speaking of your son, Nicky, uh, who we know is a very talented player, I uh, played for the Jersey Avalanche last season, uh, put up really good numbers, uh, for his league and for himself. Um, that's how we met. That's how we met. So I was coaching at the Florida Panthers ice den in Coral Springs. And you were down there at the time and Nikki was coming to the rink. Uh, and we met with me coaching Nikki on the ice and, you know, seeing his progression from then until now has just been fantastic. And I think he's growing at, at a very great rate. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, he's a good hockey player. He really is a good hockey player. It's uh, funny. There's a lot of stuff you're going to talk about, but for example, you know, how much better the kids are right now than when I used to play, you know, he's at 14, 15 years old. He's way better than I was at my prime. You know, he's way skiller, better skater, you know, better head, but you know, all of these kids are, you know, the hockey is going certain way and uh, definitely you have to have a lot of skill and you have to really you know have a hockey sense and all that stuff but you know it, it's been a road we went to florida actually you know nick is playing top level triple a hockey but in florida we play a hockey 
not even the double A, we play A hockey. So, you know, we're going to cover that too, the importance, you know, everybody since age four, we need to play triple A hockey, we need to this and that, you know, it's not important at all. So, you know, we got a lot of stuff to cover, but definitely, you know, we're going to talk about it. You know, I can share a lot of stuff, how, how I was, uh, you know, approaching uh, the growth of my son and, you know, some other people have a different views on it. I have some views on it and I think so far it's going pretty well. And, you know, we can cover it. I can really throw in a couple of stories too, you know, how he talks to me now at age 15, you know, let's uh, <laughs> definitely, we got to throw that in too, but uh, yeah. So, Speaking about players now, I think it's a, it's a good segue into asking you about, uh, you're from Pilsen at the time, Czechoslovakia. How do you see differences in the way that hockey was taken in Pilsen while you were growing up and training and development structure compared to, you know, what you've seen with Nikki over the past 11 years? Just like I said, you know, it was very different before and definitely I see the difference uh, uh, that really in let's say Czech Republic, Finland, Sweden, the kids stay together with the team almost throughout the whole year. Here in the US, you basically only have a season for six months. And after that, you know, the parents are struggling. Well, what do I do now? It's like an end of March, the trials come in. So you try to big stress, prepare for the trials. And after that, what? You have basically five months to do to prepare for the next season. And, you know, that's really different. Me growing up, I was basically for 11 months together with the same team. We were training together, kind of bonding together. And, and there wasn't a lot of, of that extra stuff. But on the other side, you really need that extra skill work right now because the game is... Uh, you know, skill-wise and skating-wise and strength-wise is way better than when I was playing. So definitely we have to add that. But the difference I see between here and let's say Finland, Sweden, Czech Republic, that really the kids stay together on one team only for six months, then, you know, you have to find out trainers, where you're going to skate, skill or skill coach, skating coach, all that stuff. And then in a let's say Finland, Sweden, you know, you really stay together even for the summer workouts. And so the kids don't really change teams here in the US, the kids are going one year going to Avalanche, next year going to Rapid, then you go there, then you go there. So I think that's the difference. Um, you know, I like everything has pluses and, you know, the minuses, but I think, uh, you know, I think the USA hockey has so many talented players that it doesn't really matter what you right. do because there is so much talent out here. It's, uh, you know, let's say in Czech Republic, you know, you have, you have basically what we have here in New Jersey. So they have to pick from basically from the whole New Jersey and put on national team and you 15, 16, 17, 18, 20. And, you know, the United States, you know, knowing the 06 and 07, the level of the, the birth years, you know, there's so much talent out here. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I don't think a lot has changed, though, back in the Czech Republic, because I was just talking to uh, a player through a mutual friend of ours, Richard Kovarik, who you uh, yep. introduced me to, who's become a great friend. Uh, and one of the guys that he brought out for the pre-draft showcase uh, in May, this Wojtek Hoist, amazing talent, amazing talent. He plays for Liberates, and he wanted to come out to the showcase uh, this past weekend in Boston but Liberates would not let him go because they started training in the beginning of July. And that's something that's completely foreign to us here. I mean, it, when you say to a t uh, guy that a, a team is starting training in the beginning of July, people would look at you like you have eight heads, but that seems to be very standard out in Europe. So do you, do you see that as a, as a pro or a con in, in you know, development of players and, and team structure? Well, I don't know how much time we have, but uh, there's a lot to talk about this because let's say in Czech Republic, you know, the clubs, they cannot really, they don't have enough basically cash. So they have to get uh, money from the sponsors and this and that. So they own the right of the player and they want to, if he's good, they, they want to hold on to him because you know they have to ask the sponsors for money the city for money the you know the state for money so they can continue playing hockey and uh, i know a lot of the parents actually calling me you know i think there was a showcase in boston i think in uh, may or june and you know the parents the kids they basically told the clubs in czech republic that they are sick 
because they, you know, wouldn't let them go and they would fly over here, go for a showcase, hoping they're going to find a spot here in the U.S. and they fly back and say, okay, we are back now. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's very different. It's uh, it's a very different way how they approach to grow, you know, the young uh, players. And, and like I said, you know, once they have a talent in Czech Republic, they don't want to let go because there is so much less players, even than Finland and Sweden. Once you have a good player, all the clubs, they want to keep them at their club. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see it in, in Germany as well. Um, when I was out there a couple of weeks ago with Alex Kirch, uh, we skated some teams and they were all together. I mean, uh, the pro guys were getting ready for the Champions Hockey League, which I understand why they were there, but there were junior programs that they were doing full team practices in the beginning of July. And uh, I thought that was very, very different. Um, but to a degree, I understand it because here in the States, we get together maybe the end of August or the beginning of September. And then you're taking the first month just getting your chemistry going and your systems and all these other things. So if you can get in two months early, and start training together. I mean, maybe you get a jump on, on all those things that, you know, maybe we get to by, you know, end of October, early November here with American teams. So I see some pros, I see some cons. Um, I think holding people, you know, kind of grabbing them by the balls to, you know, kind of stop where they can go, uh, maybe it may be a con. Um, but you know, it makes perfect sense when they're, when they're, you know, looking for money here, looking for money there. And, you know, maybe it's a star player or someone that attracts, you know, fans to the club um, or notoriety to the club. Then you don't want that guy going anywhere. Yeah, 100%. And I just remember that uh, I actually last year I coached with uh, John Banks. And John Banks is a very knowledgeable guy about youth hockey. You know, he was a player himself. Uh, he's, I think, 50 years old right now. And we actually had this conversation when he, when he was growing up in New, I think it was a New England or New New Hampshire, that, you know, the teams stayed together way longer than now. And, you know, I think that's a perfect example, the coach, the youth coach that we want to have on the show because uh, definitely he can, you know, talk about all this stuff uh, and he can really explain what he went through and, uh, you know, how they did that. And, you know, there is, uh, you know, there is, really uh, big difference you know you keep the kids together only for six months and then you know i think we should talk about quite a bit about what the parents should do after in czech republic fitness sweden they really know what they're gonna do they have a schedule set they have a skill coaches coming to the team practices they basically the parents they only gonna sign up for a year and that's it and you know it's been taken care of and you know definitely we should talk about how to really guide the parents through the spring and summer here because there is a, you know, some of the stuff I've been seeing and, you know, it's pretty much ridiculous. But on the other side, there is some really great coaches. There is some really great school guys. I think, uh, you know, the parents don't really have to spend five, ten thousand dollars a summer. They can really save some money and still do some unbelievable training. And, you know, with your experience and mine and what I went through with my son, I think we should, we can definitely guide the parents the right way. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely some uh, uncharted waters for a lot of people. And unfortunately, there are too many people that take advantage of the lack of knowledge um, for what players sh should be doing and should not be doing during the offseason. Uh, I think that's a pretty common uh, trend right now. There's, there's just so much information and, you know, there's so many programs. Uh, I mean, my programs in there included, right? So I'm just one of thousands of programs and what separates mine from the other is you have to understand the information of what we're bringing. I look forward to uh, getting in depth with you about how we can help these parents and these players out and not get swindled. Definitely. I think the most important thing is that the parents, they actually get involved more. They learn about the hockey. They ask the right questions. When they get to the rink, you ask the coach the right questions. So the coach all of a sudden goes, oh my God, this guy actually, actually knows something about this. Right. You know, when, when they see that you involved and you have a knowledge about the game, you don't have to be perfectly knowledgeable, let's say, you know, like the top level coaches, but you know, if you involve and have the knowledge, then the coach obviously have to kind of bring something to kind yeah. of, not to impress you, but for you to know, to bring the kid next time back. So he does something good for your son. But I wanted to get a quick story out of you. So we just passed the NHL draft. 
And I wanted to hear the story of your experience uh, getting drafted by New Jersey. Uh, my experience was that uh, the year before draft, I went to play into the IHL. There used to be IHL and AHL as the minor league. So I played the IHL for Detroit Vipers. And uh, I think I played only 29 games. And I was kind of, before even I uh, went to play there, I was ranked probably top five to be drafted. And I went to the IHL, I went to Detroit, and I... Uh, during the Christmas break, I went to play for the youth furniture national team to Canada and I dislocated my shoulder. I came back, I uh, played, I think, a couple more games. I dislocated twice more, twice more. So I had a surgery. I played only 29 games. So I was kind of falling down through that chart, you know, building drafted. And then I went to Edmonton. My draft year was in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, basically from being ranked top five, top seven players, I went uh, number 18th to New Jersey in the first round. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, everything bad happens for something good. And I had unbelievable first eight years playing for, uh, for uh, the Devils, you know, obviously after couple of years I got to play with Patty and Jason we had a line going for like four years uh, you know at that time they were calling us the top line really in hockey and there was so much fun we had so much chemistry we were great friends and hockey was really fun you know you go into the game and you know you, you're gonna score like you know Patty or Arnie is gonna give you the puck four times where you have a chance to score and you know basically that was unbelievable time and definitely enjoyed it. So if I uh, if I got my information from you correctly, were you the youngest player in the IHL when you played there? I was the I think I was, but the year before me, I think Radek Bong was playing there too as a seventeen year old, and year after me, I think one more Russian player went to play there. But uh, you know, like people should realize that the IHL in nineteen ninety four wasn't anything close what you see on TV right now. <laughs> So I had uh, my first couple of games, my, I remember to this day, my two linemen were Mark Major and John Craighead. Both of them basically pure fighters, 6'5", 250. And when I came there, I was 5'11 and 150. So that was my two wingers. So can you imagine the hockey devils play there? So <laughs> definitely, definitely no skill at all. You know, basically try to survive and, you know, try to score some goals, but definitely great learning experience. Yeah. I could, I, so sorry to stop with you, but like... I think people right now should really kind of look at some old tapes and really see, like, let's, you know, try to plot the tape in 1994 and like just go and see those games and see like how different the game is right now. You know, like sometimes I talk about to some other, let's say smaller scale players who play at my time. And I go, can you imagine if there was no hooking back then, how good we were like, you know, we have to go through hooking. People try to kill you every shift. Like when I say try to kill you every shift, it's mean like head hunting. Oh, yeah. Shift. So, you know, definitely the game is really changed. Uh, I'm, you know, it's all about the spill, speed and skill right now. But, you know, I just kind of to appreciate the game right now. Maybe somebody likes that game. But for me, if I could play the game that is played now back then, that would really fit me well. You know, I, I've talked to you and, and other guys about this, that it's because of guys like you and Patty and, and, and personal favorites of my own, like Burray and McGillney, that they, I feel like the game is the way it is now. Uh, you guys brought a certain, you know, year of skill that was such a small part of the game. We started getting away from that rough and tumble of the 70s and the 80s. And we started seeing guys like you play with your IQ and your passing. Um, and I think that's what's really led us to this, this level of skill that we see, you know, more prevalent now than ever. I mean, now look at how many teams have fighters if they have one at all. I mean, we're talking four lines of guys that back in the day would be first line guys on a lot of programs. So I, I, I give a lot of credit to the way that you, with the A line and, 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 you know, the guys like I mentioned before played, because I don't think that it would be as prevalent now if guys like you didn't set the tone. Yeah, the game was uh, changing quite a bit. It's, uh, you know, when I first started in 1995, we probably had only three skill forwards. That's it. Only three skill forwards and there was just size and size and size and size. 
And, you know, it kind of like over the years, it all of a sudden become like a two line scale and then two lines muscle. Right. And, uh, you know, I think uh, so important it was at that time that uh, I think the coaches, they support the play. And, uh, you know, I think Larry Robinson and Rabbi Fatorik and these coaches we had, they actually seen that, that you can be supported by the muscle, the skills, still can win you hockey games and actually the skill thing can take you to the Stanley Cup finals or through the playoffs and stuff like that. So definitely, you know, the game was changing. I think uh, it it was coming. Basically, it was coming because you could see the Russian style coming in. They were a little different. The Czechs were coming in. You know, Jager, even though he's been uh, 6'5", 250, still brought a lot of skill. And uh, definitely, you could see that the game is going to change. And and, uh, like I said before, I think... uh, you know, at that time, if they would take away the hooking and, uh, you know, they actually would punish people for taking your head off, I think uh, definitely we probably, our small guys would be way more successful. But, you know, I don't take anything back. I'm so happy that I got to play with legends like Scotty Stevens and Kenny Danico and kind of see them, what they did and what they brought. I think we should talk about Scott Stevens the whole episode. Oh, from, he's from one of my idols. For me, Scott Stevens is the ultimate champion, the ultimate captain, and the ultimate hockey player, and ultimate professional. So, you know, a really quick story. You know, 1995, I'm 18 years old. I come to the, I come to the locker room, and they sit me between Scotty and Dano. I am buck 60, you know, 5'11", and there's two masters right beside me. And, uh, you know, definitely I sat on that spot between those two guys for all those years. And I will never forget that. And it was basically dream come true for me. But I learned so much from them. The level of professionalism, the level of how they were prepared for every game. You know, when we get to Scotty Stevens, you know, we can talk about for hours about how he was prepared, unbelievable shape, basically warrior, absolute warrior. Yeah, he was definitely one of my idols growing up. I always wanted to play the physical game uh, like Scott Stevens with the passing of Brian Leach. I always thought that if if you could put the two of those people together, it would be like an absolute superhuman. That's That was like my ideal defenseman growing up. Uh, but I mean, Scott Stevens, just an, just an absolute legend. So with Nikki playing a hockey in Florida, and now he's playing at the highest levels in New Jersey, uh, what did you notice in differences in the way players trained, how serious they took it, and also the parents? Um, because I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now, and I grew up in a traditional hockey market in Long Island uh, where people invested a lot of money and a lot of time, a lot of effort into their kids, you know, becoming the best they could possibly be. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of players from Long Island from those late eighties and early nineties made it, made it big time. Um, I think that Florida is on the upswing now with a lot of Northerners moving down. But what did you notice as the differences uh, when Nikki was playing in Florida to, you know, your coaching now with New Jersey, how the, the players train, um, you know, the money that the parents put into it and how the parents act? Well, you know, it's definitely Florida. You know, people think there is nothing going on down there. I think uh, all these southern states, uh, they're getting way bigger in hockey right now. A lot of the ex-NHL players and a lot of the coaches, uh, they are moving down for the weather and they uh, try to bring the hockey kind of up in those states. And I went to Florida. I kind of didn't really know, you know, where Nick is going to be with his hockey. And uh, after a couple of years down there, I I got the sense that he's going to be pretty good. And for us, the only way to um, not missing school every other weekend for three days, because if you play in Florida and you want to play any competitive games, you have to really travel up north. Right. We made that decision with the family that uh, we're going to go up north and I'll give him a couple of three, four years. Let, let's see how it goes. And and uh, for us as a parent, now I'm talking not as a coach or as an ex-NHL player, just a simple parent. For us, is the school more important than hockey? And uh, being in Florida, 
to flying up north uh, Thursday morning uh, every other week and come back to Florida on Sunday, sometimes 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and you want a seven, eight, or nine-year-old go to school the next morning, it's impossible. Right. We made a decision to go up north and, uh, you know, we went to New Jersey because I play here a lot of years. I have a great group of friends and people and kind of their supporting staff and the school system. The most important for us, the school system is very strong here in, in New Jersey. So we came up here. Uh, you know, we, you don't have to travel. You have a lot of local teams. You are three hours away from Boston, all those teams. And there is a, so many good hockey in uh, Connecticut, New England, in New Jersey, New York. So, you know, there's no traveling. You don't miss school. You can just jump in a car and you are two hours away from great games or 30 minutes away from great games. So I think that's the biggest difference when people really want to get a good competition. You know, there is nothing. The Florida have a one triple A team, really, which is the Florida Alliance. And I know these kids are traveling every other week up north. And that definitely for us, that didn't work out with the school. That's why we made that decisions to go up north. But, you know, like I said before, Nikki played a hockey in Florida, a hockey, not double A, a hockey. And, uh, you know, doesn't really has to be right away when you have to like travel for the triple A teams. I think the most important thing is in what kind of position your son is. Is he excited to come to the ring? Is he, does he get the touches on the ice? Does he score the goals? Does he have fun? You know, just uh, all that stuff kind of get in that big picture for the parent, what to do, what do you want to do for the next season? Because a lot of the time I seen that a lot of the parents are pressuring and pushing kids that are not good enough to play triple A hockey. 100%. And that's the killer. That's the killer for the kids because they get stuck on the third line. They kind of, without even knowing, they kind of get pushed down and looked down by the other kids because basically they are not triple A players. 100%. And, and even though it doesn't happen often, but I've seen a couple kids being not stuck at the double A. There's nothing wrong with the double A. Go and have fun, grow as a player, work on your skills. And you know what? Because the kids are up and down. And you know what? Maybe in two, three years, you will be the top six at the triple A. But, you know, we can talk about it and we will talk about it. And uh, we have uh, so much time. And, you know, just like I said before, it's... Uh, the AAA and now I think in my, for my taste, there is way too many AAA teams because you don't have enough AAA players. You, you to fill those I couldn't agree more. So you basically have to fill those AAA teams with AA kids. Or single A kids. Or single A kids. So definitely, but you know, that, that rush for the parents. My son made a triple A team, but he's stuck on the third line. He gets two touches a game. He scored four goals last year. Oh my God, great. But if he would stay at the double A and play on the top line, score 45 goals, he's going to get so much more touches. He's going to be in the different situations with the puck. And that's going to give the kids so much more growth as a young youth hockey player than being stuck on the third or fourth line at the triple A. I mean, I'm seeing it here in Charlotte. Um, you know, there's a couple of triple A teams, uh, that offer it to youth players. Uh, and the closest, you know, the closest one that I'd give true legitimacy to would be, uh, the junior Canes program. And in Charlotte, that's two and a half hours to three hours away. Uh, this year I'm going to be head coaching for the 16 and 18 triple A main Nordiques at the Academy in Greenville, South Carolina, but we don't offer anything below, below 16s. So, you have these people who at, you know, 10, 12, whatever, they're traveling three hours each way just for practice. Yeah. You know, that's madness. As far as I'm concerned, that's insanity, right? I understand it. You want to give you, you know, parents want to give their, their children the best opportunities life has to offer. I'm well aware. I understand. But to travel six hours for a practice, that sounds like lunacy to me. You know, growing up on Long Island, I lived five minutes away from the rink and I played for the New York Bobcats. And my parents always told me that if you get cut from this team, you're not playing travel hockey this year because you have two other siblings that we need to take care of. And we're not driving you all around Long Island to get to different rinks. Right? So I personally don't understand how people get in the car for two and a half hours each way, two to three times a week for practice, just so that their kid can play triple a hockey when they're 12. 
right? We have a good program here in Charlotte. I think that, you know, what the, what the guys over here at Queen City are doing is, is very good. Um, the amount of players that have come out of here and gone and played at top-tier organizations, AAA, when they get to Bantams and Midgets, we're cranking them out here. And these kids are developing and getting, like you're saying, they're getting the ice time, they're getting the touches, they're building their confidence. And then when they're truly ready to go, they ship out and they go north. And I think that's a great development model to, to do if you don't, if you live in a non-traditional market, instead of driving all over the world to go to practice and flying every weekend or, you know, who knows what you have to do when you live in these non-traditional markets. I think it's a great idea if you have a solid program that you build because confidence is key and passion is key. And like you said before with, with, you know, is he smiling? Is he having fun? Because eventually at some point, if you become, you know, what they call an, an elite hockey player, even though I, I, I hate using the word elite, I think it's one of the most overused terms in hockey. Um, when what you does become, that mean elite? What's that? Well, what does that mean elite? Because yeah. there's all 78 elite academies, but is right. that super elite next? Or right. what's after elite? Yeah, what's better than super elite? <laughs> like, yeah, elite, elite and culture. We've talked about this at length. Elite and culture are the two most overused words in hockey marketing these days. But that's a conversation for a different time. But so your kid becomes a top tier player at the double A level. Okay, why not let them continue to be a top tier player at the double A level until they're old enough to ship out if they need to move? There's nothing wrong with that because at some point this game, if you want to keep going, it's going to become a job. And if you don't build your passion early, you're not going to want to continue with that job because this should be a job, but one where it doesn't feel like it's a job, right? You want to, you want to love coming to the rink. You want to love going to your workouts to get better. You want to love watching video and doing all these things that are going to make you better. But if you feel like you're being dragged there or you're put way above your head with this trial by fire because you're really a, an upper A or a, or a double A player and you're getting thrown into, you know, triple A tournaments and you're getting smoked, you're not going to enjoy your time. I don't know anybody that enjoys getting blown out 20 to one, but their parents get to say to their friends that their kid plays triple A. And you're seeing it. It's a dime a dozen these days because, you know, these AAA teams, you know, they, they're popping out of the ground and they're all over the place and it's getting watered down. And it reminds me of uh, when I was up in Canada playing in the OJ and the, the league ended up having to splinter because there were just so many teams that the, the, the quality of players was so watered down and, you know, you'd play one team and it would be a great game and you'd play another team and you would just wreck them. And you'd be like, how are we in the same league right now? And it's the same thing at the AAA level. You go to these tournaments or these showcases and you see these kids and you go, how? And that's not a bad thing to say. I'm not trying to tarnish anybody. You know, just because, you know, somebody got there first doesn't mean that you're late. You know, people, some people take more time to develop than others. But don't get in over your head when you're 12 and then you want to quit when you're 14 because you're on the fourth line all the time because you didn't give, you didn't give development a chance. Development takes time. And just because you're sprinting to a goal doesn't mean that you're ready to cross that finish line to hit that goal yet. You have to, you have to trust the process. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Just to add to this, you know, when you look at the youth hockey between like 12 and 16, the size matters so much. So there's a lot of coaches and places where they take the big early puberty guy who they know by age 16, he's not going to play triple A hockey over the small skill guy. May, may, maybe the smaller skill guy from Charlotte or from Florida, but it doesn't matter because at between the 16 and 18, it's all going to even up. They're all going to be grown up and then the players will play. And just like you said, instead of pushing over you know at age 12, you're going up North and some, somebody's going to tell, oh my God, there's going to be watching. They have to steal something, this and that. There's no one watching. Right. Let's be clear on that. Like at age 11, 10, 11, there's no one watching. And, uh, you know, it's uh, definitely, we can cover that too. We can spend hours on covering that. 
And uh, you had a great points. You had a great points where you have to be in the position where you can grow as a person, as a kid, and you continue to be in a kid and grow as a hockey player. And a lot of the parents, they put those kids in the stressful situations where they cannot grow, when they get no touches, even in practices. And, you know, people don't realize that the practices, it's actually way important than the games at this, at this level. And you on the ice at the practices, when you not belong on that team, you should be at the double A with the triple A kid. You don't get any touches in practices. How are you growing your game? How are you getting better? So at one day you can take over those triple A players. Right. And definitely. We should talk about that too. We can cover that. And uh, a- a- another thing, a lot of the programs now they're offering 70, 80 games a season, trying to get the kids in for me. That's a total nonsense. How do you fit 80 games in six months schedule? You know, where is the time to practice to get better? For me, I think you should probably play 45 to 50 the most. That's it. Yeah, max. Max, max, play those games and practice, train, have fun. I'm not saying grill the kids in practices. Actually have time instead of the game, have time to stop the practice and show them the proper way to skate, show them the skill level. Because actually when you get to the, let's say I coached last year, the 07s, which is uh, 14 under the Bantam major. And at that level, if you play the top AAA hockey, unless you have hands, perfect hands and hockey sense, you're still going to make some things, but you can't play. Right. How do you get to that? Because no, no one really cares what was before and how many tournaments you won. Now you get in at the age 14, 15. Now you get into the real hockey. Yep. Unless you do all those years, instead of playing games and this and that, you practice, you have to have fun. The coaches have to bring the fun to it, have to find a way how to get the kids engaged the whole practice, you know. Uh, I think my motto was always, how am I going to teach the kids what I want them to teach to them without them knowing it and having fun doing it? Right. I spend hours and hours in my head trying to teach those kids. So I want to hit something in practice, but I didn't just sit there, no, do this now 20 times. If you don't do it, you're not done. You're not touching the puck. Never like that. I always try to find a way to bring fun into it. They don't really think about it, but they learn how to do it. And uh, that's for me, another topic where we can cover hours about how you practice through my all, all the way up and what I've seen over the years at the rings. And, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing. And oh yeah. Sometimes I'm behind that glass and I go like, like seriously, this yeah, is like, happening. What, what the hell is going on right now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's, um, it's an, it's an interesting topic that I really would, you know, and I know that we're going to talk about it at length. Um, a couple of years ago, I coached uh, 12 UAA with in Charlotte. And one of the main things the parents were talking about all the time was we need to teach these kids systems. We need to do systems. We need to do systems. And I believe there's merit to that. You need to know how to play the game and you need to know how to do system work. But at the same time, if if your son or daughter doesn't know how to skate properly, doesn't know how to handle a puck properly or pass properly, shoot properly, you can teach them all the systems in the world. They'll have no idea what to do when they perhaps successfully complete that system. So skill development at a core, and I think we're seeing this a lot more. And I think that Hockey Canada was, was ahead of the curve with this. Uh, especially when I was growing up, Hockey Canada put a lot of emphasis on personal skill development. And they were just, you know, like clockwork. Guys from Canada were, were getting drafted. And these guys had unbelievable personal skill and knew how to use it in a system where growing up on, you know, even some of the better teams that I played on Long Island, on Long Island we didn't work on personal skills in practice ever. It was like flow drills and systems and we won games, but you know, unless you had a personal skills coach, which I was blessed enough to have a few of, you know, some of the best to ever do it. um, You didn't get that work. So I think it's great that, 
you know, the way that you're looking at it, you know, I like to see more people working on personal skill development in practice rather than spending hours and hours on, on systems when these kids don't know what the hell to do when they get there. Right. Like the kid doesn't know how to take a proper snapshot and you're telling him that he needs to do a two, one, two, four check. Okay. When he gets the puck, what's going to happen? It's going to be a muffin every single time because you don't want to take the time to truly develop the player and get him ready for that system or for that game. And I think we are seeing it more and more. I like, you know, the ADM models is very heavy emphasis on, on personal skill development, uh, obviously with the small area games as well. I'm a big fan of small area games, um, including, you know, my European counterparts are huge on small area games. You know, when we run the skill skates, they start end to end with small area games. I think that's fantastic. It sets the tone for the rest of the practice, right? If you start off bang right away, you're having a good time you're going to jump into that. But if you're even getting into a power skating session, if you're getting into a power skating session and it's just like, all right, whistle blows. And the first thing you do is you go on the line. I mean, you, you have to truly want to, you know, you have to, you have to be able to focus in on yourself to have that type of practice and set that type of tone where I think that if you, if you come out and you're having a good time already, it sets a different tone and kids are going to, especially the young kids are going to focus up much quicker. 100%. Yes, 100%. I think you said it perfectly. Uh, even at U14, if you want to play the top level, unless you are a skill, you have hands and you have hockey sense and you can play within the structure, then you're not successful. Right. If you are skill out of the structure, it doesn't matter because you beat the first guy, you're not beating the second guy. Right. And if you don't have a skill, forget it. The play dies with you and it's it. So you study perfectly and, and definitely um, focus on that skill development. We're going to talk about it. Focus that when you get to the age 14, 15, that you have the skill set, you have basic knowing of the structure and the system and uh, the coaches should be responsible for getting these kids at this level like you said with the skill set being ready to play in uh, some kind of structure and uh, definitely you know being ready being ready i you know it's i've been coaching this is you know don't really want to talk about it but you know you get kids where they are unbelievable skill players but they cannot do anything within the structure because you facing the team where those five kids on the ice are as skilled as you are so it doesn't matter if you just skill now right. you have to be even in the structure you have to you know you actually have to move the puck you have to play given goals you have to do one touch uh, pass it now to just to get away from pressure because everyone on the other side is as good as you are. And, uh, you know, sometimes overplaying 80 games a season at age 10 and 12, and then you kind of missing out the time on the proper training. It's really not helping you because no one really cares that you won 75 games when you're 10. Right. What kind of hockey player are you going to come at the age 14, 15 to your team, wherever you're going to play? That's what matters. It's, uh, you know, you see it. I mean, I even saw it when I was a kid and now as a coach, uh, I see it, you know, through a different lens, but you have a lot of parents who are like, my kid scored eight goals in an eight U game this weekend. He's a stud. I was like, that doesn't mean a thing. Great. I'm happy for him. I'm glad you're very proud and I'm glad you're very happy, but you know, the game changes at, at 13, 14 now right? Cause it used to be peewees, but now it's bantams with contact. Um, the kids are bigger, stronger, faster, just because your kid is ahead of the curve at eight or 10, or maybe even 12, you know, when those bodies start flying, we're going to really start to see what kind of player your son is or your daughter is. Um, and you know, with the speed of the game, we're going to see how do they handle pressure? How do they make these passes? What's their IQ like? Can they play within a system or are they just going to be the guy that tries to go coast to coast every single time? And that may work at eight U, but it's not going to work at 14 U and it's not it's certainly not going to work at levels above that. So I think that's an interesting point to bring up. Like you can be an absolute stud 
talk to me when you're 14. Let's see where you are. And, you know, these parents get very hung up. A lot of them get very hung up on, you know, my kid is an absolute stud at peewee. And then by 15, they're, they quit because they stopped progressing. They stopped doing a lot of the things that got them to be so good because they got content that their player has always been the best. And then they stop doing those things because they go, okay, he's the best. He's the best. He's the best there is in town. And then all everybody else catches up and passes them. And that's a story I'm sure you know a dime a dozen from growing up back home and, and guys that you see, you know, playing, you know, with Nikki. Uh, I'm sure that's a that's a pretty average story. Yeah, it's it's uh, unbelievable the amount of kids I've seen when at the age 12 or 11 or 12, they were the big stars. Everybody won him. These summer spring CCM selects tournaments, they're all calling this and that. And, you know, it comes down that these kids are bigger, stronger, early puberty guys, a lot of them. And uh, definitely when they get to 14, 15 years old, when everybody catch up, now they are the smaller guys. Actually, they are the smaller guys now. And the thing is that they were so much bigger early puberty. They didn't have to work hard because he took one step. The small kid had to take three. He scored three goals only because basically the goalie was scared of his shot. That's really how they score. And, you know, it's so hard and parents don't know that. And, you know, at that age, these kids, they have to actually work twice as hard than the small kids. Just to kind of, when they get to 14, 15, they just stay and play. Because I, I actually, some of the kids, they were absolute studs at 11, 12, and now at 15 and 16, no one wants them. Yep. And they actually know few. And it's really hard for me that, you know, maybe if the parents had that information at that age, oh my God, he's a stud now, but what do we do about it? And maybe somebody told them I had that in- information. You have to actually work as twice as hard because, you know, he doesn't have to do anything on, on that ice and he's still going to be the best guy out there. Right. And there is so many of these kids I've seen in past and, and it's so funny that those late puberty guys, and now I see them actually are taller, bigger, stronger, and way better and way skiller. They know how to work hard because they always have to catch up to those big guys. And, uh, you know, they're taking over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, working in skill development for the past seven and a half years, I've, I've seen it year after year after year now through the coach's lens, you know, obviously we both know guys that we grew up playing with that may have been, you know, better than us at some point. And then they end up quitting because, you know, they didn't put the work in, um, whether it's a, a cockiness or an overconfidence or just the fact that they stopped progressing because they didn't keep going. Um, I mean, I, I, I know guys, I've spoken to people that I didn't play with and, you know, the guys that were late bloomers, uh, a lot of these guys, they, they really put the pedal down. And, you know, they were putting in double, triple time to what these, you know, these guys that were putting up in peewees and maybe even first, second year Bantam uh, were doing. And then, you know, by juniors, they quit and they were done because they were all getting cut from teams and they couldn't make a team anymore. So uh, a very interesting topic that I would definitely like to discuss more. And I I think that, uh, you know, you you mentioned uh, Coach Banks and, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting Coach Banks when uh, I came up and, and skated with your team. Uh, in New Jersey. And I think that he'd be a great guest to, to talk more about this through the eyes of a, not only a coach, but another parent. Um, also not, not a huge guy, right. You know, Banksy's not a big guy. I, I mean, what, uh, yeah, sorry, John, but what do you have? Five, 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 six. Exactly. I think John is a perfect guest to have uh, on this show because he went through his own uh, experience. Actually, he's in the New Hampshire Hockey Hall of Fame. So always make fun of him about that. But uh, great guy. Absolutely loved coaching with him the last two years. We had numerous 
I, I actually probably last two years spoke to John more than I spoke to my wife. You know, we just chat about hockey, just like I'm chatting with you, you know, coaching the team together and definitely great, great guest to have on the show. He does nothing else, just do his job and, uh, and his passion is hockey and the youth hockey. His son is a very talented, smaller player. Yes, he is. Very, very talented defenseman. And, uh, I actually could not believe that uh, how much he changed last two years. Uh, Alex, uh, from being the guy going coast to coast, and you know, we can. That's that's a, another topic. How do you get the kids to listen to you? Because only a small percentage of kids really take it in from the coach what they need to take. Speaking of Alex Banks, I saw him two years ago coast to coast. Didn't make one pass in, in the game. As of now, right now, this kid makes perfect decision with the puck every time he moves it at the right time he jumps in the place when he has to and it's because that the kid listen that the kid listen and learn he was like a sponge and he wanted to be successful and most importantly his father not in in his ear no 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 do it yourself you need to do it yet. in his ear because he's his father obviously our sons don't listen to us he goes, listen to Coach Peter every day. Listen to him, what he tells you, you do in practice in the game. Right now, for me, Alex, it's a, he has a great future right, right in front of him. He, as a coach, he's a defenseman who makes the right decision with the puck every time. And I put him on the ice. I, I know, totally trust, and he plays how he's supposed to play. And uh, another topic we're going to talk about at length is, is coachability and, and how that transfers to, you know, everyday life as you, you know, grow into adulthood. Uh, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think he's got a really bright future. Great kid. Um, you know, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree on that one. John's a great guy. I've always loved our conversations and our meetings. And um, I, I really look forward to hopefully having him on here. All right, guys. Well, that's it for episode one of Katsumoto Conversations. Peter, as always, great talking with you. Uh, tune in every single week. We're going to have interviews, more talks about youth and player development, uh, you know, youth hockey, pro hockey. If it has to do with hockey, it's going to be talked here on Katsumoto Conversations. Uh, if you want to be uh, featured on the show, uh, if you're a company that's looking for sponsorship opportunities, please please reach out at jefflvanguardhockey.com. at vanguardhockey.com. Uh, from me, Jeff Loebman, and Mr. Kobe Beef, Peter Sikora, uh, we thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. As Katsumoto would say, it was a great conversation. Sure was. Thank you very yeah. much, Peter. All right. Thank you, buddy. Ahojte všetci, sme kapela zo Slovenska, Cicobet a René Rendy a počúvate rozhovor Katsumoto s Petrom Sikorom a s Jeffom Loubmanom.